In the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. Let the light of your face shine upon me, watch over me, lead me, and guide me, that with you evermore I shall be. I adore you with profound reverence and ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. Mary, my mother, St. Joseph, my father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I pray that everybody's time of prayer in this afternoon was fruitful. And um, tonight I <clears throat> want to go through one more scripture passage, which will start to anticipate Holy Week next week. And um, it's another passage in which our Lord finds himself alone with the Father. And um, so I'm just going to read through, and you can use those principles of read, reread, rewrite, re read, 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 reflect, right? Um, as you're moved to later on tonight. It's from Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to feel sorrow and distress. Then he said to them, My soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and keep watch with me. He advanced a little and fell prostrate in prayer, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. When he returned to his disciples, he found them asleep. He said to Peter, so you could not keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not undergo the test. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Withdrawing a second time, he prayed again, My Father, if it is not possible that this cup pass without my drinking it, your will be done. Then he returned once more and found them asleep, for they could not keep their eyes open. He left them and withdrew again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing again. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Behold, 
the hour is at hand when the Son of Man is to be handed over to sinners. Get up, let us go. Look, my betrayer is at hand. I think it was only about four years ago that I read this and actually thought about what really happened in those moments. I think at times in the past, whenever I heard this gospel reading, the only thing I could focus on is I'd be asleep like Peter. And our Lord's really upset with me. But I think it's more compelling to look at our Lord's experience. Because there are things he experiences is, that he experiences here that we ourselves experience very often. And so he knows that he's about to be betrayed and he grabs his disciples and goes to the garden. And then he chooses three to go further with him into the garden. And they've got to be the good ones. Because he wants people that are going to be there with him. And it's interesting because he's the son of God. He doesn't need anybody. But he wants them. And so he picks the three that he took up the mountain when he was transfigured. Because they've already seen him in his glory. They're a little more clued in than everybody else. Surely after seeing his glory, they're going to be a little more alert. They've seen our Lord in a way that nobody else has seen him. And he takes those three. Stay here and watch. Because I'm sorrowful even unto death. Have you ever told anybody that you were sorrowful even unto death? Or how often are we vulnerable enough even just to tell somebody that we're sorrowful? I just feel really sad right now. Uh, eat a Twinkie. You know, like we don't, we don't say I'm really sad right now very often. It's really vulnerable to say I'm really sad right now. I'm sorrowful even unto death. And then he goes to pray. And he prays that prayer, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will be done, but yours. And I'm going to come back to that in a second. So after he prays, he returns, and he finds all three of them asleep. And he wakes them up. Like, you fell asleep on me. Can you just stay, asleep? Can you just stay up for one more hour? There's something really important happening here. 
And then he goes and he prays the same way again. And he comes back and they're asleep again. And this time when he comes back and they're asleep, he's just like, they're asleep. He probably didn't make that noise. But, oh, they're asleep. I'm just going to leave them asleep. Like, they, like, why did I think that they would be able to stay awake? Because they haven't stayed awake this far. And he goes back and prays a third time. And there's an incredible human loneliness in that. An incredible human loneliness, an experience of loneliness in his humanity. Because these people that I should be able to count on, that I think I can count on, aren't keeping vigil with me. And it's not often that we contemplate our Lord's experience of rejection or simply not being acknowledged by his friends or not being affirmed by his friends in that way of affirmation that simply says, like, it's good that you're here and I'm going to be here for you. But he experienced that. And every moment in our own lives in which we experience that ourselves, it's, there's a temptation in to learn something about our work. can be a share in his own heart, as a share in his own experience when we see it through that lens. And it's possible for us to come to know something from him about him because he desires to share his life with us. And we might be moved in prayer to simply sit with him and notice him in his own prayer with the Father. Which goes again to the point that our Lord knows you and our Lord misses you and he longs for you which means you really matter to him in those times where we feel like we don't matter we really matter to him And he does hold you in his heart. And he has held you in his heart. And 
Because in his agony, in the garden as he began to sweat blood, many spiritual writers in the church reflect on he began to sweat blood because of the anxiety that his body was taking on as he became aware of the sacrifice he was about to make. And not just aware of the what, but aware of the why. So he knows that he's going to his death, but he also knows he's going to his death for the redemption of the whole world. That he's taken on himself the consequence of the sin of the whole world. Like the consequence of the sin of the whole world, which means the suffering that's the consequence of the sin of the whole world, which includes our own sin, and it includes our own suffering. And in that moment, he became aware of every suffering that every person would ever endure from the beginning of time until the end of time. And he goes to the Father and he says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. If it's possible, let's do this without all this suffering. Can't this happen in another way? And not my will be done, but yours. And if, if we let ourselves, those words can just seem very easy. Well, Jesus said, just said, well, not my will be done, but yours. And that's what we should say. And just, you know, and it's that easy. <clears throat> but our Lord's the son of God. And he prayed that prayer. And he went and he woke, he woke his friends up because they fell asleep. Well, maybe my prayer didn't work because my friends were asleep. He wakes his friends up and he goes back. And he says the same thing again. My father... If it is not possible that this cup pass without my drinking it, your will be done. Like, I really would rather we do this another way. A second time. And then he goes back and they're all asleep and he goes back and he prays the same way a third time. And so three separate times he asks the father, for something different. And he's always surrendered to the Father's will, so he's always going to do the Father's will. He's just sort of bargaining because this is going to be really hard. And if it's okay for him to do that, then that means it's also okay when we find ourselves doing the same thing. Father, I made those lists you told me to make and I, I can surrender everything except for two. <laughs> like there's like a couple of things, like I, I say the words and my heart's just not, it's okay to wrestle with that. 
And it might take going back to him over and over and over and over again. Like I'd really rather there was another way than this way. Can't you just like decree it? Old Testament people were thirsty. Moses struck a rock, water came out. Can't you do something like that? But the path of our conversion and the path of our surrender is the path of Jesus, which means getting to that place where we can say, even though I'd rather it be another way, not my will be done, but yours. Like, okay, I'll do it your way. Okay, I'll call my family member and apologize. Okay, I'll start spending just that little bit of time in front of the Blessed Sacrament because you asked me to. Okay, I'll start reading the scriptures every day because that keeps coming up in my prayer over and over and over again. But, you know, we find ourselves wrestling with the Lord. And it's okay to be in that place. It's actually a really good thing to be in that place. You know, like I had been in a wrestling match with, I don't know if I want to say it this way, um, my devotion to the Blessed Mother for a while, like years. And, and I'm a priest, so I'm supposed to always like pray the rosary and you're supposed to love Mary if you're a priest. And, and for me, like my Marian devotion was waning. It just wasn't very good. And, uh, and I think, you know, there are reasons for that. And, um, and then on my retreat last year, I was like, okay, it's time to deal with that. And so I spent one whole holy hour on the Annunciation, another holy hour on the Visitation. I had another holy hour where I just asked Jesus what he wanted to do. And then like in my prayer, we were both like 10 and we were like playing with toys in St. Joseph's workshop. And then we started playing like David versus Goliath because they didn't play Cowboys and Indians. They played Davis versus Goliath, I guess. And he let me be David and I won. And then, and then I was sort of like, we were like, I got to go with them to Jerusalem and we went to Jerusalem. And then I was, and then my meditation ended up being on the finding of, Jesus in the temple. And, uh, and there was just kind of this joy that I experienced as like Mary comes in and finds us and we kind of get in trouble, but you know, it's really going to be okay. And we're just kind of like on our way back. And, uh, and our Lord and I were just kind of laughing because like, like kids do when they get in trouble. Um, it, it's like, it's one of the more silly kind of prayers that I had. And I laughed out loud when I finished that holy hour for a while. Um, but there was, there was also kind of an affection that happened in that, and there was also this experience of the Blessed Mother caring for me. And then 
And then there was just this moment where um, I had the distinct impression in my prayer that when my mother was dying, when I was two, that she probably asked Mary to take care of me. I think I can assume that a 24 year old Catholic woman who's dying would ask the blessed mother to take care of her baby. And that sort of made it all okay. Like after that, I was just like, Oh, that's what my mom wanted. And for some reason there might've been a part of my heart that was resistant to that. But I never would have gotten there if I wasn't willing to wrestle with the uncomfortableness of it. Like if I wasn't willing to sit in prayer and just say like, you know, I really don't, uh, I got nothing right here. And so like being able to sit in the uncomfortableness is really important because that's where growth happens in the spiritual life. Growth happens when we sit in the uncomfortableness. You know, and most of us, because we're humans, we get uncomfortable in intimate settings. Like sometimes when I give talks on love, I'll say, like, if you know somebody loves you and they're willing to die for you and they would do anything for you, and you know that they know better than you know what's good for you. And they are, they are there for you. What do you do with that? And I'm like, I kind of like run away. Like sometimes I'm like, that's, it makes me kind of uncomfortable. And so we have to sit in the uncomfortable until it becomes comfortable. And perhaps it took our Lord three trips back and forth, expressing his uncomfortable. Father, if it's possible, take this way. Not my will be done, but yours. The next time it's a little different. Father, if it's not possible, your will be done. So he's leaning in, he's getting closer. And it doesn't say what he prayed the third time. But I'd imagine that he firmly set his face toward the cross. Okay, now I'm all in. And he completely surrenders himself to the Father's will. Because that's what the crucifix is. That's what the crucifixion was, is our Lord surrendering himself to the Father's will. And it's another kind of theological point that oftentimes would go over my head that, like when I look at the crucifix, I'm like, he had to die because of me. I don't always think, that was him submitting himself to the Father's will and surrendering to the Father and trusting in the Father. Because that's primarily what that was because Jesus' primary identity is to be the Son of God. 
He is dialogue with the Father. He is communication with the Father. And so in our own lives too, like whatever is getting in the way, whatever we're attached to, whether that's our personal sin, those kinds of sins of the flesh, whether it's avarice or envy or pride, all of those things have to be surrendered. I give up. I'm not going to try those things anymore. I'm only going to let you do for me what I can't possibly do for myself. And part of what our Lord surrenders in this particular passage is control. And being able to say, not my will be done, but yours. And so often what gets in the way of our spiritual life is we're trying to control it. And that comes in various forms. Sometimes it comes in the form of if I do these devotions, then this thing will happen. People come to me all the time because I do addictions work. They come to me all the time and they're just like, Father, um, I came about to see if you like could help me like do you have a novena or something like it's more complicated than a novena but but oftentimes as i was trying to control in 12-step programs that happens all the time people think if i go to meetings and i just go to meetings then it's going to happen to me which is different from surrendering life It's different from that. Because I can still be trying to control things by going to meetings. If I do X, then Y will happen. That's not how love works. Or we want our spiritual life to look a certain way. And that might not be what our Lord's calling us to right now. So I'm going to repeat this because I, I must have said it to like 30 people in the last week. Um, like somebody might say something like, Father, I just feel like my prayer life's not good because like I really should be getting up in the morning and making a holy hour and praying the liturgy of the hours and they'll have this list of things they should be doing. And my, my question usually is who told you you should be doing that? Like does Jesus want you to do all that? Have you asked him? You should ask him because you're a mom with like eight kids. You're not supposed to live like a monk. You know, you're not supposed to live like a monk. You know, I talked about how our Lord was calling me into a deeper contemplative life. He really was calling me into that. Like that wasn't me. It wasn't me who wants to do that. And I was being resistant for a while. And so to ask our Lord, like, Jesus, what do you want my prayer to look like today? 
and just see what happens when we start our prayer that way. Jesus, what do you want to tell me today? And just see where things go. Use scripture, but see where things go. It's more exciting now. Because our goal is to love like Jesus loves, and that means we only do the things we see the Father doing. Our Lord says that over and over and over again. I only do the things I see the Father doing. And so when we let go of those sins of the flesh, when we let go of comparison and jealousy, when we let go of our pride, when we let go of our desire to control, we have nothing else to hold on to except for him. And that prayer of Jesus in the garden, it's a place where we can go to be with him in order to learn from him. What it means to surrender our lives. What it means to give ourselves into the Father's hands. Which is the psalm that Jesus prays from the cross, into your hands, Lord, I commend my spirit. It's a prayer of trust. And it's a prayer of confidence. Because he knows that the Father's going to take care of him. And that makes all the difference. And so I just invite you tonight to just continue that prayer. And to be vigilant with our Lord. But to recognize that he knows you. You know, whenever we find ourselves in those places where he's been, he knows you. And that's an amazing thing. And we always say that our Lord 
our Lord knows everybody, you know, but he also knows you in an empathic way. In an empathic way. Which means he has perfect empathy for you. It's another byproduct of working with addicts sometimes is that you learn a lot about brain science and sin. And when people are enslaved to sin, like any of those sins of the flesh, their empathy level goes way down. And that means that the one who is sinless has perfect empathy. That he feels perfectly the feelings that you feel. And he can identify perfectly with the feelings that you feel. And that means he's trustworthy. And we can say along with him, into your hands, Lord, I commend my spirit. 